Hey, it's Blockbuster Film you, School you, time. You lost it at the end there. Untrue. It sounded like it started sounding like NXS. Perfect. I nailed it. I am the professor Alex Bonner, joined as always by the headmaster Nicholas Souter. She's not my mother, Todd. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Take a hike, bozo. All right, team. We're doing a very special episode here at the Blockbuster Film School. We are doing an episode entirely devoted to. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Boom, 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 Where you get to see a bunch of kids blown apart with a nuclear explosion. Love it. Eat that, kids. There's a lot of cool stuff to talk about. It is maybe the blockbusteriest blockbuster movie that ever came out in the history of Hollywood. It might be. What was that first word you used? The blockbustering. Okay. T-E blockbustery. Hold on a second. Yes. Nope. I'm just going to vomit later. Go ahead. (laughs) Leave it in. Leave, Leave it, it in. in. Leave it in. Don't make me get the pen, Brian. I'll click it. Click, 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 click. All right, team. We're going to talk about Terminator 2, one of the greatest movies in the history of mankind and a personal favorite here. And also, Nicholas, I believe a special event is coming up, a anniversary. July 3rd, 2021 will mark 30 years man, oh man. of Arnold Schwarzenegger cutting off the fake skin off of his arm in front of a terrified black family. (laughs) Oh, yes. It is a wild one. And there's debate on whether or not it is James Jim Cameron's masterpiece. It's definitely up there. I personally think still Eileen Aliens as his absolute best movie he's ever made, but I think it's the second one. I think it's absolutely an unstoppable classic. I realize this is not the James Cameron episode. We're not doing a wall. It's no. like a little fun office hours. Totally. It's like three hours long. It's like yes. all the other James Cameron That's movies. That's right. I do think Aliens is a better movie. My favorite movie of his might be The Abyss, though. Oh, I agree. I love The Abyss yeah. as well. It's definitely right there. But Terminator 2 is a goddamn masterpiece. It's a goddamn masterpiece. We'll get into it. We're going to talk. We're going to go into a deep dive. We're going to talk about how it was made, how it was conceived, and also the production itself. It was conceived with a writer from the future who died coming into the past. That makes sense. It was conceived through the love and bizarre hate of James Cameron and Gail Ann Hurd continuously mm-hmm. divorcing each other and then getting back together and then divorcing each other again. And that's what this movie is about. It's about divorce. Divorce. And that even if you don't have a dad, maybe you'll get a robot dad and he'll be a better dad. No matter how annoying you are, he's not allowed to kill you because he's a no, robot. Exactly. Except for the future to be your dad. So maybe if you're listening and you don't have a dad or robot dad, get a Roomba. Ooh, that's interesting. And then put like a cardboard cutout of Arnold Schwarzenegger on it and it just goes around your house. And just... then it knocks up your actual maid. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know. Maria, is that what it looks like? It looks like you're you know, making the maid. That's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> I've been on the show every episode, I think, right? Yes. So for some reason, I didn't think in advance about all the Arnold's impressions he's going to do. I'm not going to do a ton. I'm going to try to keep it because also it's a very understated Arnold in this one. It's a very like, I'm seeing robot stuff because Cyberdyne systems, you know, like I'm a small robot is being very chill about it. It's not total recall where he gets hit in the face and his mask cracks and he chokes to death on Mars and does. There's none of that. I don't think. So, Nick, let's start with our usual thing. Do you remember where you were when you first saw Terminator 2, Judgment Day? Pretty sure it was Ford City Mall. Ooh. Like, you mean the film or just, like, the images of it? Oh, either one. The first, you can tell me either one. Do you remember the first time I you saw I remember seeing 
the TV commercial on like ABC or some shit. It was in between some dumbass show with either Tim Allen or Tim Blake Nelson or Tim Robbins. And I remember going, <laughs> holy Jeez. shit, it's that guy who killed everybody in that movie. And then I got fucking way too hyped. And I remember being in the theater and just like it starts and they have the thing and you see that fucking little kid skull and then that fucking robot foot just crushes it. And I immediately went, oh my God, and freaked out. And then it turned into the greatest moment of my life. And that, when the robots are shooting everyone, that's in 2029. So we got that to look forward to. Can't wait. That's coming. That's also... That sequence, Stan Winston was told by James Cameron, make like six skulls. <laughs> James Cameron is a bizarro, yes. Kubrick-esque perfectionist. Yes, he both certainly is. So Stan Winston's like, yeah, okay. So he made 26. <laughs> they went through all 26. Awesome. And then he's like, we're out of skulls. He's like, fine, you just take five. <laughs> Also, uh, we'll get into it, but Stan Winston is the effects master who did the effects in this movie as well as a ton of other movies. We'll talk about that. The first time I saw Terminator 2, I went, uh, it was my friend, I'm not going to say his last name because I don't know if this is technically illegal, but my friend whose name was also Alex, and we were in second grade, and it was his birthday party, so he was having a sleepover, and we went over there, and his dad, I don't know how he got this, but had a legit someone with a video camera had gone into the theater of Terminator 2 and recorded a bootleg in which you could actually hear people coughing and a guy got up and walked in front of the camera a couple times. But that's how good Terminator 2 was, though, is that he turned it on for like a room full of like eight eight-year-olds and everyone shut the hell up with the exception of whenever T-1000 killed someone, we were like, yeah, oh yeah. And I basically like lost my mind. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was the coolest movie I had ever seen at the time. I immediately the next day went home and told my dad, I was like, Terminator 2 was amazing. And my dad, in being cool Joe Bonner fashion, he was like, okay, and immediately went to Blockbuster and rented the original Terminator so that I could see the original Terminator, which I also adore and I think is amazing. So I didn't see the original Terminator until after Terminator 2 came out on Showtime, like a year later. Because I had only seen it on USA, edited for cable. Mm. I was like, this is kind of lame. And then my dad's like, you know, this isn't the real movie. I'm like, oh, can we get it? He's like, no. I wonder what they dubbed Schwarzenegger's lines for. That part where he's like, fuck off, asshole. Like on. Oh, get lost, loser. (laughs) I remember. Like he goes through the scroll and like they edited all that. And it looked, it didn't match at all. Like the text of the font. It just, USA. (laughs) Also somehow Has ruined more movies. Then Adrian Brody. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, let's go into it. We're going to do a little bit of the history of Terminator 2, and we can talk about it as it goes. But as Nick said, it is a 1991 science fiction classic produced and directed by James Jim Cameron, the taste of Canada, that he, as Nick said, one of the great Hollywood filmmakers He was described by Robert Patrick, who played T-1000, as being always the smartest guy on set. He is one of those truly elite filmmakers in which he, with the exception of maybe the actors on set, could do anybody's job better than them. He is an amazing director, an amazing writer, storyboard artist, editor, cinematographer, set designer. He's the real deal. He can do everything. Lights in frame, baby. Mm -hmm. There's got it. He has Cameron has a look. He is an auteur. The camera is always moving during his action sequences. He maybe has, in my mind, James Cameron is the best action sequence director in the history of Hollywood. 
His action sequences still to this day, no matter how many times I see Terminator 2, for instance, I still get excited. I still kind of get that, that a little bit of adrenaline first pump. chase scene is like the Gen X version of the chase scene from Bullet Ooh. or like the French Connection chase. Yes. There's no dialogue in it at all. It's just music and just cars crashing into ravines and other cars <laughs> and things being shot and that little non-acting actor on the dirt bike going, Ugh! We'll talk about Eddie Furlong and how Eddie Furlong is definitely the most divisive of the acting performances in this movie. Some people love Eddie Furlong. Some people think he's the best. He's a haircut. Let's just call it that. He is a haircut. <laughs> I like John Connor, Eddie Furlong. But then once again, I was eight years old. I saw him. I immediately said to myself, I need a dirt bike and a public enemy t-shirt. That's what I need. I need to do this. I have decided my life. And so See, I, I saw that movie. And the first thing I was like, we need a dog named Wolfie. Just so I can tell. Your foster parents are dead. <laughs> um, so James Cameron, if you don't know, now, at this point, it's become ubiquitous. It is fully a part of our culture. But there have been big cult movies, big independent movies that have come out. But probably the biggest in the history of Hollywood, I would make the argument bigger than Halloween. Well, I know the Terminator, when it came out, was such an insane, not just financial hit. It was a cultural phenomenon. When it came out in 84, by 85, Every dad, his answering machine message was, I'll be back. I mean, it was literally that nerdy. Some people knew who Schwarzenegger was. He was kind of a cool side character in American culture from Pumping Iron and Conan. But after that, people were like, his name is Arnold Schwarzenegger and we should watch whatever he's in. And I don't know. What do you think? I suppose we should say, what do you think of the original Terminator, Nick? It's a great horror film. Yes. Yes. It's a great movie. I like Terminator 2 better. Hmm. Different vibes, though, I think. Very different vibes. It is visibly low budget. Yes. If you told me that movie was directed by John Cassavetes, I would have been like, <laughs> I, I sort of believe that. This looks like they didn't have any permits to shoot anything. I like the idea of John Cassavetes directing an action sequence. Though. Yeah. He's like, what if instead of them running, they just talked for a while? Yeah. Instead of you shooting the first Sarah Connor, just tell her what she did wrong raising her children. <laughs> You should cry instead. Yeah. What if the characters cried instead? What of- if all the Sarah Connors are just Jenna Rollins and wigs? <laughs> but that should be said because the 84 Terminator is such a huge hit and it puts Cameron on the map. It puts Schwarzenegger on the map, Linda Hamilton, so much about it. It just blows up and it creates this heat wave of American culture. And of course, people want a sequel. They want a sequel. Arnold wanted a sequel. He said he wanted a sequel the last day of shooting. He said to James Cameron, we should continue this story. We should do more. And Cameron said to him, and Schwarzenegger relayed this in an Entertainment Weekly article from 1991 when they were making it that I read. He said, I can't do a sequel right away because that's not how sequels work. And Schwarzenegger was like, what are you talking about? And it was very interesting because then I later saw a thing where Cameron was talking about this. And Cameron will only make a sequel like seven, eight years later in which his whole, How many years of it between Avatars? Yeah, 10 years, 10, 11 years now. And it's an interesting element, though. Do you know I've never seen Avatar? I, You know, I heard I heard that you've never seen Avatar. I haven't brought it up in a while. I figured That's it's a good true. time to say it. <laughs> We're going to clockwork orange you, tie you to a chair, and, like I will your eyes open. rip myself out <laughs> of the seat, and I will bleed you out through the neck using my teeth. <laughs> you turn green and tear out your clothes. I just turn into an Italian flag and freak out. <laughs> 
<laughs> Insert Italian joke here. Still offensive. <laughs> I didn't say anything about marinara sauce. So you're offending our guest. <laughs> I'm Rod's, offending everyone. That's we right. should mention Rod Stewart's in the audience. Yes, right? yes. <laughs> no, no. I love your haircut. I think it's great. But uh, Mercurio's here. Super producer Brian Tepps is here. We have some guests in studio. Yeah. So feel free. Super Brian Tapps is very yes, upset yes, all, since yes. the beginning of the show. Very glad to have you guys. Super producer Brian Tapps is the man who makes the magic happen. We're just two morons. Yeah. That is definitely true. But there's two reasons that Terminator 2 didn't happen right away. The big one is on the cool side. James Cameron didn't want to do it because he only will make a sequel if he feels like technology has advanced far enough where the sequel will pop out and be different than the original truly in its level of production so that it actually kind of blows up and is totally different in a way than the first one. That's his ethos. That's why he made aliens. That's why he made avatar when he did and why he's waited like a decade to make a second avatar according to him. But he's also a very patient director like Kubrick. He doesn't just jump into another movie. He pre-pros shit for years and years and years and really makes sure it's works to the point where, like we talked about, he may actually be an, a true, when people toss around the word genius, this guy actually can design new cameras and things like that to get the shots he wants that don't even exist yet. But the other crazier thing is that in order to get the first Terminator made, James Cameron, before he made Terminator, he made a movie called Piranha 2 where he worked with Roger Corman, and that was the only movie he'd ever made. But he had befriended some people, including Arnold Schwarzenegger, who introduced him to these guys at a studio in England called Hemdale, right? That was kind of a cool studio. It was mostly made up of actors and producers, including the guy who was the manager for Black Sabbath. So Hemdale basically said when the original Terminator came out, the rights were 25% to Cameron, 25% to Gail Ann Hurd. We'll get into Gail Ann Hurd, who produced the movie and has been Cameron's partner in crime on lots of stuff, 25% to Schwarzenegger and 25% to Hemdale. Well, eventually Cameron and Galen Hurd got divorced. And so at that time, and there's epic stuff, and maybe we'll talk about that another time, they would work together many times after this, but at that current moment in the late 80s, they hated each other and would not speak. So her 25% was never coming back to Cameron. And Hemdale also realized how big a hit the original Terminator was. And they were like, you need to pay us a lot of fucking money if you want these rights. So they were also going bankrupt. So they needed money desperately. Well, that's the thing. They weren't going bankrupt in like 1985. They were doing good. So they had to wait a little bit, like say 1990 when they had screwed up and not made any more movies and pissed off James Cameron. So they eventually have a guy, his name is Mario Kassar, and he is a big dog from what was a huge dog in Hollywood at the time. Maybe we'll do an episode on them called Coralco Pictures. Do you remember Coralco Pictures, Nick? I do. Any hot takes on Coralco or anything that comes to mind? I don't do hot takes, first of all. You got to <laughs> stop do, asking me that. You do Nick picks. I don't do that either. I don't like the, any of this shit. Their logo's fun. That is true. Their logo is amazing. And I personally love one time Mario Casar, who was the producer and founder of Coralco, got asked what Coralco meant. And he said, nothing. I just think it sounds good. So yeah. I, I've enjoyed that a lot. Fun little fact, Coralco also employed Juan Menendez, who was the guy who got murdered by his sons, the Menendez brothers. And he was not just employed there. He was like one of the main producers at Coralco. He produced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original one. Yeah. So if you bought a VHS copy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the early 90s, you gave Juan Menendez directly money. 
So that money was spent on shotguns that led to his death. <laughs> it didn't so go good. So you <laughs> saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in theaters like Alex and I did. We're, we We're responsible. It. We're responsible. <laughs> it's manslaughter indirectly. <laughs> but Mario Kassar was a wheeler in deal, still is. But at that time, he was at the height. Karalco was a big studio like Orion. They were an upstart Gen X studio. They also got two Best Picture Academy Awards for their goofy upstart studio with Platoon and Empire of the Sun. They produced all kinds of crazy stuff. Total Recall, Stargate. I'll give them credit. They loved wild sci-fi action movies. And if Caralco didn't exist, a lot of the coolest stuff ever made probably wouldn't have happened. Particularly, Mario Kassar basically went to Hemdale and was like, how much money do you want? How much money do you want? And they were like, five million bucks. So he gave five million bucks to them. He gave five million bucks to Galen Hurd, and he got the rights to Terminator back and teamed up with Schwarzenegger and Cameron so they could make Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So I had to toss that out there. It's very, very cool. And well, we all know Alex Bonner loves to defend movie producers. <laughs> I've never heard anything super terrible about Mario Kassar, with the exception of just a little fun fact about Coralco. They eventually fell out of favor, had a big string of fails. And instead of doing the slow route back of doing indie movies and doing low budgets to gain a little money and being smart with it, they said, fuck that. We're going to put it all into one movie. It'll be the new movie, the movie that gets it all back. And it was a $150 million budget for a movie starring Matthew Modine and Gina Davis. And it was called Cutthroat Island. And that was the end of Caralco Pictures. Oh, God. Into the Twin Towers. That's what happened. So. uh, (laughs) So for all of you people who didn't see Cutthroat Island in theaters, you funded terrorism. It's the 9-11 of Caralco. That was the end of them. Also, Cutthroat Island is terrible. Yeah. It is Rennie Harlan. It's Rennie Harlan. Speaking of Rennie Harlan, at this point, we should just talk about Terminator 2. But I will say Rennie Harlan directed a little movie called Die Hard 2. I don't even know what the subject. The sub- it didn't have one. It didn't. it didn't have a subtitle. Oh, that's maybe Die Harder. <laughs> die. Oh, maybe Die Hard. Oh, what's his name? The character actor that we like who died. Brian Dennehy. Character actors. Who gives a fuck if we're fat? Or just Die Hard 2. I shot another kid. <laughs> Stuck in an airport. Everyone loves that. Everyone loves to be reminded of the time they got stuck in an airport. It's such a cool thing to remember. Bruce Willis's fantasy of getting stuck in an airport is like killing a bunch of like terrible hostages. Everybody else is just getting blackout drunk. I'm not going to lie. The closest I've ever come to real violence is when I'm like trapped in a fucking airport and just things are being canceled and there's all the morons and just like there's a... Be cool. Be cool. Don't scream at anyone. <laughs> Don't scream at anyone. But Die Hard 2 is important because Rennie Harlan took a shot on a guy named Robert Patrick, whose brother is Richard Patrick, who was the original guitarist for Nine Inch Nails, and then had his band called Filter. Do you like Filter? <laughs> I like Filter because it led to this story where, which one's for Filter? Richard Patrick. Rich, Richard Patrick told Trent Reznor he needed to make more money. And Trent Reznor's like, you know, the pizza place on the streets looking for drivers. He's like, I'll start my own band, yeah. you dick. And actually, I mean, you know, hey, man. Hey, hey man, nice shot. Three hit wonder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they still tour. People still. Yeah, but out. I mean, it's like Abbey Pub is their big <laughs> venue of the week. Well, that is true. I brought up Robert. Nothing Pat- against Abbey Pub. Nothing I against like Abbey, Abbey Pub. Pub. Yeah. But if like you go. Years. I mean, yeah, that's why they're still playing there. Mm-hmm. They just live in the basement. Yeah. Sorry to all the filter fans. I apologize. All seven of you. Go back to Ohio, (laughs) you fuckers. So 
Robert Patrick would be T one thousand, and I think I think it's a good place to start because if you don't know the plot to Terminator Two: Judgment Day, in the original, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a T eight hundred. He is a robot sent back from the future, and he goes back to kill Linda Hamilton, who is Sarah Connor, before she can spoiler alert have sex with Michael Ben, who will be the father of John Connor, who will be the future of the Resistance that smashes the stupid-ass robots in the future. So the robots... Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. So in one last desperate attempt, the robots send back the T-800-101 model, and they... The Austrian model. Yes. <laughs> Do you know Sarah Connor? The Mr. Olympia model. So... I'm a friend of Sarah Connors. Can I see her? <laughs> That's ex- it's pitch perfect. I'll be back? Question mark? Uh, <laughs> He's fucking Ron Burgundy. <laughs> So they send Arnold back. Turns out that Sarah Connor and Michael Bean kill the Terminator. They shut him down, but yeah. not before Michael Bean dies like a punk ass. But Sarah Connor lives and is pregnant with Eddie Furlong. He died like a hero. He died like a hero. Yes, he did. Kyle Reese. Yeah. Also running into the Twin Towers, trying to get everybody out. <laughs> I love it. I Look, also, I love there's things... <laughs> Normally when they do stuff in sequels where they take lines from the first movie and then bring them back, it is super cringeworthy. It is this, a testament to James Cameron. What? This is Terminator 2. Yes. Everything works. Everything Come works. with me if you want to live. Yes. I'll be back. And also, this was 1991. So, 84, we have Terminator. Yeah. He says, I'll be back in Commando. He says, I'll be back oh. in Red Heat. He says, I'll be back in... Kindergarten Cop. Hell yeah. He says it in Twins. He says it in, what is that terrible fucking movie we watched the other night? Oh, Raw Deal. Raw Deal. Also, if anyone knows the director <laughs> personally of Raw Deal, please tell him that Nick from a podcast he never heard of before said to go fuck yourself because that is the worst fucking movie in the world. It's very bad. How dare you make us listen to that country bumpkin song oh, while the world's biggest action star is driving around <laughs> in like a Plymouth hero or something <laughs> through some fucking cornfield. Anyways, tell him to go eat shit. What was I talking about? We were talking about Terminator 2, but I appreciate the offshoot of Raw Deal because it does suck. Yeah, but Arnold had used I'll Be Back in every Absolutely. fucking movie and everything else he like guest started and cameoed. He would just show up in action movies like, hey, I'll be back and like wink. Get it? It was a cultural touchstone. Yeah. It was bizarre. I can't think of anyone having a bigger catchphrase in the history of anyone in American culture than I'll be back. Like, I don't. Yeah. I mean. Until Bill Clinton. <laughs> I am bulletproof. Next time, bring kryptonite. I can do anything I want. I believe was what he said, right? That was what. Yes. <laughs> You'll never find those bodies of buried. Um yeah. No, but all the callbacks work perfectly. Yeah. And even after seven years of Arnold just winking at the camera, it still works when he comes through the fucking tear gas and goes, stay here. Yeah. I'll be back. Totally. It works. And we'll talk about it. There's an amazing scene where in the first Terminator, the cops arrest Kyle Reese and there is the same dickhead who is now the head of the asylum that Sarah Connor is in, which I suppose I should just continue the plot. But there's a great scene where... Kyle Reese is being interviewed by the cops and he's trying to explain to them. This is a guy who's basically been through like psycho robot Vietnam war. And these guys are basically making fun of him and he loses his shit. Like it's all dead. You're all dead. You don't even know. Like then they have 
a sort of mirror where Sarah Connor is now the like, oh, this is bullshit. You're already fucking dead. Like, and it's amazing. Her little monologue where she loses her shit in that opening thing is fabulous. Yeah. Also, I didn't realize until we watched it how often I tell people that's my worldview <laughs> and how weird it is to hear that from the guy selling you hummus. That is true. <laughs> I didn't know how dark it was until I said it to the guy at the liquor store. He's like, uh, should I not sell you this? I'm like, it's fine. Come on. You, you're going to sell it. You have to. Also, James Cameron loves a good scene where someone flips out either in front yeah. of cops or in front of corporate dildos. Like where Ripley is like this, all oh, this, yeah. this bullshit. Is it going to be, if one of them comes down here, like, Oh man, it's so, so good. good. Yeah. <laughs> one um, person has to have emotion. One person has to know what's going on. Yes. And it's usually the smartest woman in the room. Correct. Or a tiny guy in stolen Nikes. That is absolutely correct. Ed- or Ed Harris. Yes. Shaking his ex-wife back to life. <laughs> it's true. He loves to have a good freak out scene. Yeah. But as the plot moves along, they stop in the original Terminator, the Terminator. But a few little pieces of the Terminator remain, and they get bought up by the corporate dickheads, Skynet, if you will, Miles Dyson. And they begin- Well, then it was still Cyberdyne. Cyberdyne systems. Skynet is what happens when Correct. the system is launched- and then becomes uh, sentient. Right. So now in the sequel, John Connor is now uh, a petulant teenager, and Sarah Connor is locked away at a criminal asylum, and John Connor himself re-rigs a old T-800 Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator, and he sends it back to protect John Connor because the robots have gotten smart now, and they have created something called the T-1000 that is a liquid metal shape-shifting cop that is basically the Porsche to Arnold Schwarzenegger's tank. And so it is this interesting cat-and-mouse game because now, instead of it being this stomping through doors, shooting the shit out of everybody, not asking questions. It is this very smart, very calculating, high-speed thing that can turn its arms into knives and can be nice to your foster parents enough for them to talk to you It's instead of having to. You still go back to the house later and kill him. Oh, definitely. He's not actually nice. He can just mimic human behavior. He's an efficient killer. Yes. He's a very efficient liquid metal soldier. Yes. He's only there to kill as few people as he can. He just needs to attain his goal. He needs to kill a cop, steal his clothes and gun, get into a car, go to an arcade, <laughs> shoot some guy who looks like the guy from head of the class, <laughs> then throw some fast dude who looks like Clint Howard. Go back and listen to our Clint Howard crossovers yes. out of a semi truck and then have the coolest fucking car chase. We should talk about that. So in the beginning, you learn that John Connor is... A jerk, but a hilarious jerk in some cases, sometimes an ingratiating jerk. So John lives with his foster parents who are Vasquez and what's his name? Xander Berkeley. Yes. Some great Cameron character actors. And she's not my mother, Todd, as Nick brought up. And him and his redheaded mullet friend listened to Guns N' Roses. Yes. And I love little things that Cameron does to give character depth where automatically you learn that this kid is smart enough to hack ATMs. With an Atari fucking <laughs> handheld video game. Yes, yes, he uses a Game Boy to fucking to hack an ATM, which 
it's kind of awesome. It is awesome. He's basically playing fucking Dr. Mario and he just reads out pill lines. He has to figure out what numbers they are. <laughs> that is how ATMs work, though. I'm pretty sure you have yeah. to play Dr. Mario. So they go and the T-1000 is already after them. But also the Schwarzenegger Terminator is also looking for him so he can help him. So there's this weird moment in the beginning. Neither of them have found him yet. And they collide, as you said, at the mall or if you're from California, the Galleria, which I believe is at the San Bernardino one which is now gone, but I went to it before it closed just so I could walk around and it was kind of cool. The exterior was a San Benedetto one. The uh, interior was actually the Galleria from uh, Commando. Interesting. Okay, cool. And as Nick said, then is one of the craziest, coolest action sequences in the history of time in which a kid on a dirt bike is being chased by a Mack truck yeah. driven by a liquid robot. And then, first of all, driving the Mack truck off the bridge into so the dope. LA River viaduct is amazing. Backtrack a little. Yes. Just, I brought this so up really before you we want started recording. Up. Robert Patrick, right? Robert Patrick. There's too many fucking Patrick's. So many Irish. Anyways. <laughs> They're everywhere. So Robert Patrick trained for months, mm. running, only breathing through his nose. So yes. he could just like seem like more like a monster. And he got so fucking fast, he would catch up to Eddie <laughs> Furlong on his dirt bike. So he had to like, all right, I can't run as fast as I want to. But like, can you imagine how fucking insane that is? Breathing just through your nose and catching up to a dirt bike going like 40 miles an hour. It's insane. Also, Robert Patrick, I listened to a cool interview where he just talked about Terminator 2. And one of the things he said was before he left Ohio to come to L.A. to be an actor, he literally his very good friend who was a bodybuilder said, hey, man, you should start doing bodybuilding. Like, you're a real athletic guy. And Robert Patrick was like, nah, man, I, I don't really want to, like, get all bulky and stuff. And the guy was like, I don't know, man. If you get all bulky, you could be, like, the next Terminator. They're going to need another Terminator. And literally Robert Patrick was like, I don't even want to think about how spooky that moment is where that guy somehow edged into consciousness this concept. And then I was the next Terminator. Yeah, but also they wanted a slim guy yeah. to be the opposite of... Arnold, which is why... Also, James Cameron, he really needs producers yes, and editors. Yes. His original choice for The Terminator, spooky enough, O.J. Simpson. <laughs> and then which, his, uh, yeah, <laughs> an actual Terminator. Yeesh. Don't forget your sunglasses anywhere. <laughs> um, and then... It's too dark. It's too soon? It's too soon. So then his original choice for the T-1000 was Billy Idol. Weird. Like he was gonna run after him. He was gonna come off the. He was gonna drive the pickup truck off the bridge yeah. while he was just playing White Wedding. Like, is this? It's also that Robert Patrick talked about one of the main things he could do in the audition that nobody else could do was any of the weird physicality they wanted him to do. They asked him to jump on stuff. They asked him to make cool movements with his hands as though they were knives, and he did it so it looked dope. They were like, "Now act like we just shot you with a shotgun," and he did cool stuff, yeah. and uh, nobody else was doing it. And could you imagine Billy Idol with how many cigarettes he's ingested? Like, now run with your mouth closed, just through your nose. He's like, right, yeah, I think I, th I do that for about, I'm going to say, eight to nine steps. Is that going to be enough? Yeah. And I could do it once, one time. So after that, I might die. And he's like, smoking. Also, Billy Idol can't move his neck. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like fucking um, that line from Shaun of the Dead. Billy Idol can't look up. <laughs> <laughs> but also that's the thing is that um Robert Patrick is an old football player. Yes. So he has a football limp. Yeah. So they had to include that in the CGI of him mm. being the liquid metal walking because they had to match all his steps. Cool. 
Also, I love the Foley. I, we're kind of bouncing around, but I love the sound effects and how when he's a different person, his footsteps sound different. Yeah. And then when he flips back to T-1000, it's the T-1000 steps. My favorite thing is that when like the actual guards are walking around knocking on the steel doors, it's just a hand hitting the door. But when it's the T-1000 going around, they change the sound, so it's just metal banging on metal. Oh, yeah. There's so many cool sounds. Also, that the sound that Winston and Cameron came up with for when the T-1000 takes a shotgun blast, has that cool sort of ripple out effect, they slid a can of dog food out. So it's just like, like. And then they reversed it. Yeah, yeah. Like, also the coolest thing I read today, because I do all my research an hour before we record. <laughs> yes. Stan Winston created reverse squibs mm. of different sizes for different bullet holes. So on set, it would just be like, Bleh, and like, instead of like a squib blowing up, it would just be the body going back to normal and a bullet falling out of him. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Also in the Robert Patrick interview, he talked about how him and Cameron would have these long sessions where he would do these exercises in the physicality of those very specific things where he would say the T-1000 can take about this much of it and it will expand this much. So now show me when I give you a shotgun blast from this distance versus that distance. And Robert Patrick does those really cool moves where he's bouncing around and also, then when he gets hit with small arms fire, he kind of, even though he's running, he does little things so that his shoulders kind of bounce back and forth. There's just a great kabuki level of physicality to Patrick's performance that it was all thought out, though. It was all extremely thought out, each and every last little element, which is the sort of camera thing. But with that, I think we should continue with the plot. So in the original Terminator, Arnold comes through in a electronic light ball. And he's butt naked, right? Because that's how you have to travel through time. Yeah. As well as Michael Bean, right? Because originally they explained you can't take anything with you. Right. So that's why they the created Terminators. So they could fit human flesh around their robot selves, send it back, and just kill everybody. Well, but also that living tissue is the only thing that will go back through time. Yeah. This is well, their kind of little caveat. They don't explain it. Suspension of disbelief. But that's also why the Terminator is not just a robot. He is covered in human flesh both to blend in, but also because that's the only way to travel back through time. They don't really explain necessarily how the, the liquid metal one does that. Oh, they never figured that out. I read about that today. <laughs> they never came up with anything. Right. They were just like, he's so good at imitating, it's human flesh. And they're like, really? He's like, look, we're making the movie. There's no point. So when the movie begins, there definitely is a naked Robert Patrick and a naked Arnold Schwarzenegger with their balls taped up so you can't see them because they're... No, uh, Schwarzenegger taped his up. <laughs> Robert Patrick was like, fuck it, just CGI it out. So they did. That's amazing. <laughs> and then uh, James Cameron said that the CGI out of the genitals only works in, like, it didn't work in the VHS transfer. <laughs> so awesome. he wants his, he literally said in an interview, I want my fucking genital money back. <laughs> so in, in early VHS copies of Terminator 2, Judgment Day, you could see Robert Patrick's T and his 1000. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I just had to bring that up. I had to bring up the light ball back. You time. love talking about naked Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's hilarious. He loves the one time I went to dinner with you and your dad. It's like <laughs> you spent the entire time talking about it. And your dad was like, Alex, you don't have to try to impress me. <laughs> Listen, pop. I know what Arnold Schwarzenegger's asshole looks like. Okay. So also I have to bring up in the sequence in the first act of the movie where the T-1000 is chasing John Connor that they legit 
in my mind, did the craziest stunt in the entire movie in which a stunt driver drives an 800-pound Harley-Davidson motorcycle off of a flat ramp into the viaduct and is wearing an Arnold Schwarzenegger mask going about 60 miles per hour and lands it. That shit is crazy. That is... Evil Knievel shit. <laughs> he does have wires on the bike. Yes, but even But he st- still does the trick himself. Yes. And then the stunt drive where the same guy does a little NASCAR move to get the truck to go to the left and then slides barely around as the truck tries to slam him into the wall. It's crazy shit. I mean, it's amazing stunts. We can go into all that, but there also, is. Also, on the day of filming, they realized that the truck didn't fit underneath the tunnel. So James Cameron's like, well, got to get rid of it. So that's how they decided to fucking slam that thing off is because it's the only way they could keep shooting. Yes. And then Robert Patrick said that that was one of his choices was that he was actually driving the truck at that point. Cause apparently something like 60 to 70% of the stunts were done by Robert Patrick and Arnold Schwarzenegger and him then knocking the glass out was just Robert yeah. Patrick deciding to fucking do that. And Cameron was like, yes. There's also a scene uh, where, Arnold's doing his own stunt driving until he like gets into the aqueduct, but like he's made his turns too slowly. Mm. James Cameron's like, can you do that again and turn the bike faster? He goes, not with me on it. (laughs) I love Arnold. There's some amazing stuff of just, as we move along, Arnold is in a lot of battle damage, really great Stan Winston, practical effects, battle damage. It's like this, the thing in Jurassic Park. Yeah. This has amazing practical effects. Everything in this still looks fucking good. Yes. This movie is 30 years old. It looks better than shit that came out in the last 10 years. In the last two years, we mentioned this. Miles Dyson is the guy from Cybernide who creates the Terminator. Yes. Zack Snyder literally steals him for the (laughs) Snyder cut and makes him make a Terminator for Justice League. And it looks like shit. (laughs) He's good. He's good. The actor's great. Joe Morton. Joe Morton. Yes. And also nothing at Cyborg. He's the best part of Justice League. Yes. But he looks like a guy covered in green screen. Yes. Yes. And the fact that the CGI still looks good. Yeah. And it's interesting. We can talk about this. Industrial Light and Magic. George Lucas's company, just a little bit, was the ones who made this. And there's a cool story about how James Cameron had waited a while because he had ideas for it and he knew he wasn't going to be able to do them in 1985. But things like Tron were coming out and he said to himself, I bet you in a couple of years, some of the shit that I want to do, I could do. So when he made The Abyss, he worked with Industrial Light and Magic and some of that cool alien stuff and some of that, they were using a little bit of CGI. And he said to himself, shit. That looks really good. And he basically brought them the storyboards of what he wanted to do with the liquid Terminator. And according to legend, or at least according to some of the ILM guys who I heard interviewed, they said that they sat down with Cameron and George Lucas and the heads of ILM. And Cameron basically showed them the storyboards and he asked George Lucas if he could do it. And George Lucas said, yes, I can do that. And then he left. And then the guys at ILM looked at him. He goes, we can do that. And George Lucas said, we better. We have to do it now. We told him we could, you know, and did the whole jump and see if you can fly. (laughs) But that's an interesting element of like, as you said, after that, though, the ability to combine CGI with practical effects would make Jurassic Park and basically anything that had CGI that still looks cool. It was because they combined it with practical effects 
and also just amazing directors. James Cameron and Steven Spielberg are able to hide things because they're amazing artists who can hide flaws. You yeah. know, they light stuff so it's darker, you know, so that the liquid, you don't see it all. The, and there's flames and explosions. You're not looking at it all the way. You know, it's not. It's not it, a pod race scene. Exactly. Where you're just staring at it like this looks like trash. Are you an angel? <laughs> no. He's a John, John Binks. All right. So. The, the Terminator. He the, fucking <laughs> tries to shoot some dude. Just, just go to the gym. So in the plot, though. The T1 Are still on this? Yes. Well, I'm just moving a lot. We can talk about however you want, but basically, why don't I just kind of lay out the plot as it goes a little bit? Just the T1000, Robert Patrick, he gets initially defeated by Arnold Schwarzenegger and John Connor teaming up. And he then has to regroup and kill people and search for John Connor. And John Connor, of course, is like, it turns out my mom wasn't crazy, which I like is an interesting saying. And that also we should save her. And the Schwarzenegger is like, that's a bad idea. We shouldn't do that. You're the only mission. And then they beat up some guys. They break Gus's hand. Yeah. Gus, <laughs> Gus didn't do anything. Gus, he didn't, he, he tried didn't to call, save a kid. Yeah. Like he, Fucking, he grabs him, and then John Connor starts freaking out, and, like, these two dudes who are, like, you know, they're gym rat assholes. <laughs> what do you call them? Jock dickheads? Jock douchebag dickheads. <laughs> uh, one of them has a mullet. He's the one who calls him a little dipshit. I think he's we- like, you called moi a dipshit? He gets all fucking, like... <laughs> he gets all he, dipshit? He gets all dipshitty because he's got his own fucking Terminator, which I get it. If I had a Terminator, fucking customers wouldn't say a goddamn thing to me. Anyways... <laughs> Put your leg down. Making this way too personal. <laughs> Put your leg down. And then, like, Gus doesn't do anything. He didn't even call him a dipshit. He gets his hand broken and almost shot in the face. Yes. Which is then you learn that John Connor, as the cool guy, instructs this Terminator in this movie not to kill. He's not going to kill, which is a nice twist. Yeah. It's an interesting little twist. Which also... James Cameron likes to say that he doesn't kill anybody. He threw that motherfucker in the bar out the window. That guy <laughs> bled to death on somebody's car. Well, that was the beginning, though, before he was told not to kill. No, no, no. But that's the thing is, like, there's like an allusion to this that he was reprogrammed not to go around and kill everybody. Mm. So that's why he doesn't straight up kill anybody in the bar. He puts the blade in the dude's shoulder. He throws the guy through the window. Yes, that lady he looks at his dick. Yeah, he throws the guy onto the grill instead of, like, just crushing his mulleted skull. There's so many mullets in this movie. Dude, we listed how many mullets. There's just yeah, mullet after we stopped mullet after, after a while. It was, honestly, we couldn't even keep count. It was just mullet city. And <laughs> even Schwarzenegger's hair started to get a little long, get a little mullety in the back. Dirt. Yeah, it's weird because his hair goes from, like, wake up fuzzy and then the next scene's a little bit longer. And it's, like, basically the scenes they knew were going to end up on posters and stills. Mm. They're like, no, 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 make him look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> For everything else, he's like, no, he was a machine that was up all night. What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) We're in Mexico, man. We ain't got time for this. And also, I have to bring this up. It's not just that sequence. Every set piece is good. Every set piece. Even that thing before the jock assholes attack John Connor and the Terminator or get attacked by them, however you want to look at it. They call his foster parents, in which the T-1000 has taken over Vasquez's body. And is talking to him on the phone, and there is the cool reveal that the dog is barking, because dogs hate Terminators. Yeah. And then, in one of the more intense things I had ever seen as a child, that guy gets a arm knife through the yeah. mouth, through this, the milk The carton. noise is yeah. amazing. Because he's just on the phone, he's pretending to be the mom, 
And then on the other line is Arnold throwing his voice, Beetlejuice style, pretending to be <laughs> a John Connor. And then he goes, what the fuck? I thought you told the kid to get rid of that fucking mud. And then T-1000 switches hands with the phone. And all you hear is, fuck. <laughs> and then no more Xander Berkeley. And then it's like that slow pan over. And there's just a knife, like the size of like a human, like a sixth grader, just through <laughs> this motherfucker's head, through the milk carton, through his mouth. The back of his head stuck in the cabinet and just the when he unclogs it. <laughs> awesome. It's, it's amazing. Awesome. Your foster parents are dead. Yeah. So they know that the T-1000 is after them, but they go to the next amazing set piece, which is they try to free Sarah Connor from the criminal asylum that she is trapped in, where she's apparently being molested and gaslit the entire time. Yeah. Also, our special audience, Rod Stewart, brought this up before yes. the break, which you won't know about because Brian's so good at editing. They do use the Guns N' Roses theme song, You Can Be Mine, oh, diegetically yeah. in the movie. Yes. When, um, point of the, when the kid from Pet Cemetery 2 and the guy from Salute Your Shorts are riding around <laughs> the, on the mini bike. Yes. And it's just like, just like it's blaring. It's played for so long that Sarah Connor is denied parole. <laughs> From the mental asylum, just to be able to make phone like she's not gonna get released. No, it's this lower level of security. Like this whole sequence goes on, and it cuts back to these two fucking dweebs on the bike, just it's just like yeah, yeah. It's also it's just all instrumental. So apparently they somehow got a vocalist mix (laughs) from Geffen Records (laughs) as a single. These two kids and just play it in a loop the whole time they're driving around. Hey, man, if you're going to be in the new Terminator movie, Terminator 2, I would be like, yes, I don't give a shit. Whatever, man. That's absolutely true. There is a ton of 90s music within this movie. The score is amazing. Yeah. Brad Fidel. Brad Fidel. And as you said, cast iron skillets to make the dun, 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 dun. Yeah, so. But I only bring it up because the whole Guns N' Roses song lasting for 23 minutes, it's the only part of this movie that's a little less than believable. Sure. There's definitely a bunch of plot holes, you know. Like, yeah. Why I mean, is John Connor like 17 years old if he was born in 1985 and it's 1991? Whatever. Don't think about it. Yeah. Do you thinking about it? Don't think about it. Also, you thinking about it? I guarantee he, those foster parents changed when they had to raise that little fuck. Oh. But it's like, who gives a foster parent who owns a brown Camaro, a kid. <laughs> they give him John Connor. They give him John Connor. They're like, you know what? Deal with this asshole. <laughs> you would have raised something like this. <laughs> yes. They give him a dirt bike. That's nice of them. Yeah. <laughs> so you get the fuck out of the house and leave him alone. <laughs> exactly. Also, I love the past, the agency of children right. back then, just yeah. like, has a dirt bike. I had a dirt bike. I was just doing whatever the shit I wanted. It was bizarre. But the T-1000 is after them as well. And I just would love to hear your take on the asylum scene when they finally break Sarah Connor out. It is such a great... Well, here's the thing. They didn't break Sarah Connor out. Right. She, they met up in the middle of her, break- the, her breakout. <laughs> she was already gone, man. Yes. So you have this amazing sequence where Sarah Connor is being interviewed by these two cops who are just like guzzling Subway sandwiches in the background. Because Subway very, product placement. Subway... Pepsi, something else. I can't remember, but I was just like yelling out that and mullets and Subway and Pepsi all last night. We we're watching this again. Mario Casar gets the money to make this. He movie does. Caraco pictures. Yeah. 
just, you know, there's two cops going, hey, this is the guy who tried to kill you. Kill all these cops in 1984. Do you want a taste of this turkey club? <laughs> Have you ever we didn't of- get you any cookies because we know you're gluten-free. Have you ever had but a veggie delight? <laughs> so she steals a paperclip from them, puts it in her mouth, does that James Bond thing where she mm-hmm. like, or the MacGyver thing where she is in bed, shackled, spits it from her mouth directly into her shackled palm. Hell yeah. Breaks out, gets out of the room, fucks up the dude who licked her face. Yep. Also, that guy, there's a deleted scene where that guy kept pulling the hit and she had to keep falling to her knees and she fucked up her knees. And then she flipped out at him. It's like, you are fucking ruining this movie. Blah, blah, blah. They'd end up using the scene. When she wow. whacks him with the stick, she does not hold back. She is literally beating that guy's ass because she's getting revenge. Awesome. And she is not acting. She is Sarah fucking Connor. Mm-hmm. Also, she can only do Sarah Connor. The new movie sucks. Anyways, save that for the next episode. I also have to toss this in there. This is of, in a lot of auteur directors, you get to see a little bit of their sexual fetishes. And even in the beginning when Sarah Connor is being introduced and she's doing pull-ups and you see her yeah. sweaty and muscular and ready to stomp people's ass, it's like... James Cameron likes uh, women who are able to beat the shit out of yep, everyone. Exactly. That is sort of his thing. And also, Robert Patrick in his interview said, he was like, I mean, everybody on set had a crush on Linda. I mean, it of course. just- Yeah. <laughs> but that asylum scene is amazing. It's amazing. She eventually winds up finding her main doctor with the worst- <laughs> I take it back. The second worst actor in this movie. The <laughs> guy, she runs up to him, throws keys- he, I've never seen anybody catch keys like this where he has never caught anything in his life or no one was like, hey, catch. He literally goes like this, hands up in the air to catch it. All the while, just opens up his body to get hit and it just has this like look of shock on his face. Like he just walked in on his parents having sex. Like, <laughs> keys, what? what? And then he gets kicked in the balls or whatever. Yes. She takes that shitty doctor hostage mm-hmm. and then she gets let into one room breaks free of all the other doctors and shit, open palms some dudes in the face, and then that dude's run around, oh, get it, get it, covered in blood like a little asshole. Straight up stabbing people with syringes, yeah. putting stuff in, and then taking Drano, putting Drano in a syringe, sticking it in the guy's neck, not pushing it in, but basically in one of the great hostage seeds of all time, like, I will push yeah. Drano into you. So she gets away from everybody. She gets to the elevators. Yes. Like you said, though, there's no stairs. Uh, <laughs> you got to get out of here, bro. Elevator door opens. You get the first bit of slow motion in the movie. Mm. She's running towards the elevator and out comes dressed like a leather daddy from a gay bar. <laughs> the machine that killed you and your baby daddy. Yes. And the biggest movie star in the world. At and the time. comes out holding a fucking shotgun in his hand. Like it's some asshole walking around with a fucking umbrella. <laughs> And she just falls her knees, screaming no. She turns around, runs back into the people who were chasing her. I mean, I get it. And then Eddie Furlong's like, you got to help her. He's like, he goes, stay here. And then he just manhandles, like it's a professional. Throws a guy into a window. Throws a guy into a window. Throws another guy through a glass part of a door. <laughs> takes some Italian woman with a mullet and just gently pushes her face. And she goes tumbling she backwards. She dead. She's dead. <laughs> He just beats the fuck out of everybody. Except for the stupid doctor who, al- the stupid who doctor. always makes it out. Yeah. He made it out of the police station. He made it out of this. It's an interesting little Cameron thing. Like always the sneakiest little corporate mind fucker is the one who still yeah. manages to survive because he's a coward little bitch who hides himself against the wall. And then like a cockroach manages to stay alive. Yeah. 
You just see the Terminators fucking each other over for a percentage. Exactly. Exactly. And he, then you have the coolest shit ever. You have a liquid metal guy walking through a jail. And it still looks good. Still looks good. Walking through the jail doors. Yes. And just like morphing through it. And then his gun gets stuck. Just yeah. cook, And then you have fucking just action for like five minutes. Right. Just one of the awesome chase scenes. Like you said, he's always moving the camera. Always. He's always flowing. It feels like. You're part of the chase because the camera just keeps moving in the direction of the action. He also does that thing George Miller does where all of the action is like center framed so that you just look straight forward and you just see the action because you have all those taken movies where it's like 97 cuts and you, in one part of the frame you get Liam Neeson pretending to hop over a fence and it takes like 12 takes. Totally. Or you have like Michael Bay who's just blowing shit apart and you have no idea what's going on. You're yeah. what is happening? It's you, like, where does this robot asshole begin yeah. and where does Shia LaBeouf's mouth start? Yeah. And no one has eye lines. He's like, eye lines are for the weak. Yeah. Exactly. Like <laughs> the, I'm playing in this softball game now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. It, Cameron is a precise motherfucker. Everything is precise. Yeah, he's a perfectionist. And also, we talked about lights and frame, which I swear adds something. It always magical. It's magical. It's amazing. Right. There's lights and frame in almost every shot in this. Yes. He designed the garage they escape out of to have an unnecessary amount of lights so that the vanishing point of every shot is a trail of lights. Yes. It's amazing. So it's just like, you have your eye line to just like watch everything in the center. And then there's also lights to guide you. It's like watching mm. like a Broadway thing or like baseball or something where it's like you have spotlights built into this Show parking you. garage where you wouldn't imagine it to be, but it's a stage. Every sequence is a stage and you have spotlights to guide you along totally. the way. Exactly. Show you exactly where to look. Yeah. And also a cool thing with it. It's so wild with any crazy CGI or crazy special effects where to hide any flaws because there's so much shit going on in the image that like, if you really focused in too hard, maybe you would notice the CGI is a little wonky or there's a little green screen, but there's so much shit happening. Your brain won't even allow yeah. you to process it. And that's the other thing we talked about this yesterday. This is one of the most gorgeous night movies ever. Mm. The way he shoots night is the way that people try to shoot like day for night when they can't shoot at night. Yeah. This is what they want because it's night, it's dark, it's super illuminated, it's all blue. Mm. Every camera movie where it's night, it's not dark, it's like blue. Yes. It's amazing. It yes. looks gorgeous. Nothing in this looks dated other than the haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> Also, with that, just talking about Cameron, I just want to say a couple of little Cameron things real fast, but that there was some cool stuff where Cameron talked about in an interview about Terminator 2 that was in like 1997 before he made Titanic about how when he made The Abyss, it started to get stressful. He felt like he was overworking everybody. And he used like some cool term that he had learned from like NASA astronauts where you can't work too much. You can't work all the time. You got to chill. Even when you're up in the space station, you have to chill out sometimes. You'll go insane. And so when he made Terminator 2, he gave all the actors the weekend off. He only worked five days a week. But then like a psychopath, he edited in with his editor on the weekends so that he was making the movie and fully understood how it was going to look as he was making it. So, I don't know. It's crazy. But also, towards the end of the movie, I'm jumping ahead just to so sure, you fit this yeah, in here. do it. The T-1000 drives the metal pole through Arnie, 
and he gets stuck to the ground. He sort of dies and he has to reboot. And they're watching the footage and they realize there wasn't anything in there for him to like show that he had a reboot and just start up again. Cause he, originally he would just appear mm. coming up on that fucking, oh, uh, yeah. the Kate Bush hell. Yeah. So what they did was he's like, okay. So he wrote that part where he pulls it out of his stomach and like he reboots, but they only had access to that defunct steel mill for like a few more days. So he calls Arnold cause he is his close friend. So he yeah. can make him work every fucking day. Yes. He goes, Hey, we have to shoot this. We have no time. We got to do this right away. It was the 23rd. Arnold was traveling to go spend Christmas Day with Bruce Willis. <laughs> Cancel his plans. And they shot that part where he pulls that shit out of him on Christmas Day itself. Awesome. I mean, because Arnold is also a crazy workaholic person. There were yeah. stories about on the Terminator 2 set that people loved and hated being the PAs and uh, assistant directors who had to work with Arnold because he would be super cool to them. But also he'd be like, instead of having lunch, why don't we work out? Yeah. And they would be like, oh, for real. And then he'd literally be, and when he would be in his trailer, everybody else would be chilling. He was on the light cycle the whole yeah. time, just going like, because a, he doesn't the, stop. On the commentary for the terrible director's cut. <laughs> That's out there, the special yes. edition. Yes. They recorded it in like 1997, and he talks about how he was just on the phone with Arnold when he was shooting T3, and he goes so hard on the set that he threw his shoulder out, so they had to stop shooting for an hour, and then he decided, it's okay, I'll just start shooting with my shoulder out. <laughs> Dude, he's a maniac. He's Arnold Schwarzenegger. But, okay, so we're just going to move along with the plot a little bit as we go in T2, so... They save Sarah Connor. They go to Mexico and they hang out there. And that's the end of the movie. They just live in Mexico. Just drink margaritas. Yes. Hanging out. Uh, No, they figure out or Sarah Connor does, which I love that. Then she catches her own agency where Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator explains to her. She basically gets Intel from him. Like who did this? When did they do it? And he explains Miles Dyson and Cyberdyne systems and when he is responsible for it. So she has a horrific dream because James Cameron is an amazing horror movie director as well. One of the great horrific scenes ever in which you watch a playground full of children blow apart in a nuclear blast, light on fire with Linda Hamilton And then she wakes up from this horrific dream and decides she's going to murder a black family and takes a machine gun and goes. And then you get this cool character of Miles Dyson, though. And she is not a total scumbag because she shoots Miles Dyson, but he manages to get away enough. And then his son, in the way that Cameron has heart in everything, his son dives in front of him and says, no, don't don't kill him. And she can't do it. She can't shoot the kid. She's not a monster. The kid gets pulled away. She can't shoot him because she's not a murderer. Exactly. She She, wants to stop. She's her whole thing is to stop the end of the world. Right. She wants to destroy robots. She doesn't want to destroy any people. True. But then her son, who is the better rebel leader in the end, comes and is like, why don't we just have the Terminator explain to him what's going to happen and what he did? And it's this cool scene where he then is like, well, I will help you. I I will help you stop this. So they go back to Cyberdyne systems to get rid of the arm. But before that, so he fully knows while he's been shot in front of his wife and kid 
Then an Austrian man cuts his arm off and shows a robot arm and he goes, oh, Googie, and basically has to admit what he's done because, oh, shit, there is a robot apocalypse and I am responsible for it. I get why you tried to kill me. I actually get it now. And also of great set pieces, the Cyberdyne systems thing. So many explosions, so much fire, so much gas in frame, and then Dean Norris and the cops. I don't know. What do you think of any of the great end of the second act of Terminator 2? There's nothing bad about this movie. (laughs) That's the thing. I enjoy the part where he stitches up her shoulder that gets cut in the the elevator, and they pull out the bullets from him. And also, the bullets that they pull out... James Cameron shot himself because he wanted to make sure they looked all mashed up. So he went somewhere and just unloaded a couple of clips really close to something so that the bullets would have that squishy oh, look. Oh, crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. Because he's that fucking nuts. Yeah, I love it. So I thought about this yesterday when we were watching it. You own that gas station slash car repair place. You show up the next morning. One of the cars has been stolen. There's blood all over. And there's like... 24 bullets just on the ground. That's going to ruin your fucking day. That's going to be weird. It's going to be a weird day. So then they steal a station wagon and they start driving to Mexico. And you have that scene where they realize that he explains the longer he's around people, the more human he can act. He's supposed to act like a human. He's supposed to blend in. It's got some of your favorite scenes. So John Connor, (laughs) Edward Furlong, I believe I said yesterday that Edward Furlong is what happens when Kurt Cobain doesn't commit suicide. It's just a long, terrible life on heroin. I'm sorry, Eddie Furlong. But also, you got compared to Kurt Cobain. Which will never happen again. Kurt never got fat. Anyways, I'm fat. I can say what I want. But here's the thing. We have that scene where you get the catchphrase, hasta la vista, baby. Yeah. And it works in the moment right before he shoots the fucking frozen T-1000. But you have to go through and suffer. (laughs) This little kid trying to deliver lines and he fucking can't. And I said this last night because Arnold is not the greatest actor in the world, but he's very charismatic. That's what makes Arnold. Yes. That's what makes him a movie star. Yeah. He doesn't get to do that in this. Yeah. So it's like watching both versions of Keanu Reeves act against each other. (laughs) So you have like the stoic action John Wick Brom Stoker guy who's just like no yes your foster parents are dead so that's like him being I'm not going to show any emotion Keanu and then you have Keanu from like Parenthood and Bill and Ted who's are just we like, learning yet yeah he's, are we learning yet it's like you know Bill now if you, you really want to shine him on it's hasta la vista baby I will Whoa. defend Ted Theodore Logan that his performance is way better than Eddie Furlong's I know it is <laughs> but those are the two aspects of Keanu Reeves yes. and like as you get older and you watch that it's just like how the fuck did this I, go- I will offer one definite defense of Eddie Furlong and it is this that James Cameron is such a badass in his storytelling that he registers that kids are annoying. They are not actually all the way like in movies where there are these fully formed people who are these sentient adults as Hollywood has them, that kids 
our stream of consciousness and he, like Newt in Aliens, you understand their innocence and their vulnerability because they are actually annoying and children. They are first of all, real children. First of all. Yes. Bite your tongue when you're speaking of Newt as an annoying child. They only come out net mostly. Mostly. She's a fucking hillbilly, all right? <laughs> She's a fucking hillbilly in space. Affinity. She's not annoying. Also, she watched her brother get eaten by a fucking giant space bug. His Give mom got thrown into... His mom tried to tell him a robot apocalypse was coming and he got thrown into an asylum and he had to live with these terrible foster bastards. That's not the same. <laughs> it's not exactly the same, but no. it's, he also... His upbringing was I'm not I'm not saying ideal. he had an easy ride, but I'm saying he <laughs> didn't watch his William. brother get eaten by a space bug. That is true. It is a little And then different. also, not only that, you have to grab Bill Paxton by the hand and get him to safety. That is true. That's a lot to ask for. I agree. But it's more that late you get to see the space bug moment where you have a robot dad and then you get to watch a liquid metal cop stab your mom (laughs) and try to murder you nonstop. I mean, it's a cop. Everybody's seen that before. But no, okay. I understand what you're saying. Yes. I agree. He still sucks. (laughs) I hate him so much. I didn't watch Terminator 2 for years, and I got really stoned when I first moved back into this place like three years ago when it was still the other dudes who lived here. And I got really stoned, and I started watching Terminator 2, and it freaked me out just how much I did not care for Eddie Furlong that I just sort of muted it and just listened to new wave music while I watched Terminator 2. I have a different opinion. I like Eddie Furlong. And yeah, I yeah, know. because you liked his haircut he I, had in the 90s. I think he's charismatic. Everyone remembers him in that movie. I think there's something, whether you find him annoying or not, you can't forget him. He's truly indelible. There's something about that performance where he is John Connor and everyone remembers every last line, whether you hate it or love it. You remember every single thing that that kid does in that movie. It's it's John Connor. Yeah, yeah I mean, you are right. We are. It's 30 years later, and we're spending a very sweaty night in this apartment talking about it, no matter what. like <laughs> He's still getting all of our attention. True, true. And then the other part is, this movie, they shot it for 171 days. Yes. So he was like a little kid yeah. when they started shooting it. By the end of it, he was taller than uh, Lyndall Hamilton, and they had to do like the reverse Tom Cruise, where they <laughs> dug a hole out so he would stand in it and be shorter than her. That's why the scene when they're in Mexico and Arnold Schwarzenegger is Uncle Bob. Yeah. They're underneath the car. That's his natural voice. That's the only scene. Just because they wanted him to sound vulnerable. Because they shot that early in production. The rest of the movie, his lines are 80 yard because his voice changed. Also, fun little story. Robert Patrick talked about how on set he shared a trailer with Eddie Furlong but he very particularly tried to not hang out with him in a little bit of method because he was like, I can't be friends with you. And then he said, in order to do that on his Walkman, which he listened to nonstop, he listened to ministry and nine inch nails nonstop as just a vibe for T 1000. And he literally said in his empire, super producer, Brian taps is rubbing his nipples. Yes. And he said, head like a hole. And I was like, that's some interesting. Yeah. He was like T 1000. If he liked music, it would be industrial metal. I was Makes like a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> he is liquid metal. Yeah. I love the idea too, of him just sitting in his cop thing, not talking to Eddie Furlong, just listening to fucking pretty hate machine. <laughs> just fucking. Mm-hmm. He's also like my brother's in this band. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> 
Actually, by the end of production, he was like, my brother was in this band. (laughs) So as it goes along, I will just kind of complete the story and we can talk about anything we want. We're going to talk about this real fast. Yes. Anything you want. Denzel Washington was offered the role of Miles Dyson. Whoa. Straight up turned it down. Wow. Quoted as saying, I love James Cameron movies, but I can't do anything that do with that role because all that guy does is sweat and stare. I love Joe Morton in it, though. He's, he's great. He's but so like, iconic as my. <laughs> no, but like as the story, he is Scatman Carruthers from The Shining. Absolutely. He's like there to guide everything along and tell you about the future. And then he shows up and he gets an axe in the stomach. A little bit. But he's also if someone explained Bezos and then you have to be cool. Are you going to be cool, Bezos? Or are you going to fucking be like, get the fuck out of my house? Like, and then get shot. I don't know. I thought that character is kind of cool that he then says. I will suicide mission with you. I will do this with you. You are right. We yeah. need to stop this. I So nothing like Bezos. Nothing like Bezos. More like maybe Steve Jobs. <laughs> Steve Jobs is like, well, what if it played music? While <laughs> yeah. it? How much are you going to pay me to do this? Yeah. Also, that sequence at the Cyberdyne system in which they have all the cops in the world show up to attack them. Arnold doesn't, quote unquote, kill anybody, but shoots all of LA County's police cars with a minigun, which I loved also that there were cops not dressed like douchebag Batman, like they are now where everyone has a flak jacket and a machine gun and a helmet as though they're invading Iraq. They're actually just cops in uniforms and he miniguns all of their cars. And then the T-1000 shows up after all of this, then the T-1000 shows up, steals a helicopter Throws, as you said, a line back to the other one, get out, and then throws the guy out of the helicopter, which, as you said, what was it, that the CGI or something like? That was the first time CGI ever spoke in a film. Yes. So it was important because that was the first time I did that. Also, it was a throwback to the uh, scene in the first one. And also, camera was like, what if we had one more guy jump out of a helicopter? <laughs> That'll look good on screen. And then, in my opinion, the second craziest stunt in the entire movie is, and maybe the craziest stunt, is they have a helicopter chase them in that police van, and it is flying about, what, six feet off the ground and goes under a bridge and is some sort of psychotic Vietnam vet who is just like, yeah, I'll fly the helicopter however you want, Jim Cameron. Actually, the guy who was flying the helicopter was the helicopter pilot, he was the stuntman, the guy who jumps out of the plane. Hell yeah. The film crew refused to shoot it because it was too dangerous. So dangerous. So James Cameron. was like, I'll shoot it. He shot it himself. Fuck yeah, he twice. did. Fuck yeah, Once he from did. behind and once from in front of it. I love So he just was like, all right, set up the camera in the car, got in the car, got the one dude who's willing to drive it, uh-huh. drive it, and just shot it himself. And he goes, let's do it again. Yeah. And then came back to the set and was like, mm-hmm. To all of you, yeah, cowards. He like, said he actually was quoted as saying that was the most exhilarating moment of his directing career. Because if that guy crashes that thing, that's the end of his career. Yeah, no, then he's John Landis. <laughs> like, yeah, but all he needs a couple of Vietnamese kids and just fucking steal that the deal. Stunt though, where he comes out of one tunnel and then barely gets above another yeah. tunnel in a helicopter. I myself, every time I see it, go, holy shit. That is the most dangerous shit. That is crazy. Also, flying that low to the ground, you don't have that much airspace to create the 
gyroscopic effect in order to, it doesn't just levitate by magic. If you don't have enough air, it could just fall. So if a really strong gust of wind happens at that moment, the helicopter loses and crashes. It's bizarre that they pulled that off. The most bizarre thing, though, is so they were shooting there and they only had a certain amount of time because they shut it down. So they had to be out by 5 a.m. The problem was all of the electrical wiring. This is how fucked up L.A. is and was in the 90s. All the electrical wiring on the highway for the patch they were going to shoot, the wiring was stolen. (laughs) People ripped it off so they could sell it. So the production (laughs) had to rewire the entire L.A. light system (laughs) so they could shoot at night. But they were only shooting. Now I have to fix the entire L.A. power grid. What the fuck? They were only shooting five hours a day. So that meant they hired a security team to stand by each light pole on the expressway (laughs) to guard their investment of wires so they could shoot that night. I fucking love it. I want to go back to Mm -hmm. Cyberdyne scene because there's two things in there that I fucking love. It's an amazing system. It's an amazing scene. Him shooting out the window, destroying the cars, coolest shit in the world. But there's a scene where the T-1000 drives his motorbike up the stairs yeah. in the building, right? And he goes, Woo-hoo! James Cameron lifted that from the classic Italian garbage movie, Escape from the Bronx. Mm. Literally, that's exactly in there just like that. He lifted it from there. That is one of my favorite terrible Italian movies it of all times. Yes, you did. Yes. I fucking love it. And I was watching it with needles and I just go, oh my God, it's Terminator 2. And then last night, you were in the uh, kitchen, and that scene happened, and I slapped on the knee. I go, escape from the Bronx. And he was so high, he goes, what? <laughs> um, the other part is the minigun fired 2,000 rounds per second. But all you got was muzzle. Yeah. There's no sound. Right. So James Cameron had them rewire the entire gun so that it was only 500 rounds a second. So it would blast. So it would blast. So you get... Bigger muzzle and the sound. I love it. I love it. And how Stan Winston did it. So there's squibs coming out of cars. Oh, the yeah. cars are squibbing out and being annihilated. I don't know exactly how he pulled that off. I mean, the amount of pyrotechnics that went into not actual bullets hitting a car, but the car being disintegrated by quote unquote bullets yeah. is such a weird, like I have to rig this with tons of tiny explosives and they work in a rhythm so that it looks like a gun is slowly going over them. I mean, that's, it's a controlled demolition. It's nine 11. Like you brought up. Yes. It's exactly and then like that. The other thing is the only thing that the UK censor board asked them to cut out was when he makes the walk from the elevator to steal the police van. He's walking up. And he just starts kneecapping everybody. That freaked out the UK censor board. Yes. Because the IRA was known for just kneecapping people. So it was like, that's too much for us to see. <laughs> it reminds me of those dirty Irish. Can you cut that? And it was at one point, James Cameron and the producers were like, no, you got to get over it. But you, you guys, guys are, were way worse than the Irish. You guys are cool with an Austrian man just walking all over you, though. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you can't escape your past, but you can ignore your present. <laughs> also, when I was listening to that Empire interview with Robert Patrick, one of the things one of the British guys brought up was that in England, they have one more grade. They don't have PG-13. They have like 
PG-15 and like PG-18. That's yeah. their R. So Terminator 2 wasn't R in England. It was PG-15. Yeah. Because they were fine with people getting a little knife in the eyeball when you <laughs> get your cup of coffee or getting a knife through the mouth uh, when you're drinking milk. That's fine. But yeah, kneecapping a guy. <laughs> well, that's just based on, you know. History. This is based, <laughs> this is based on their neighbors coming over and be like, "We want our freedom." No, not you guys. Never walk you again. Guys are trash people. Yeah. Um, so after Cyberdyne Systems is technically the craziest chase scene, as we said, with the helicopter, the mayhem, and they finally get to a foundry. You know, they have those all over LA because it's super industrial. <laughs> but they get to a foundry, and lights and frame to a next level where yeah. it looks like the empire strikes back, which they filmed at the ILM studios. No, they didn't. No, they actually re that was a defunct An actual, that was a defunct foundry. Interesting. They went through months of negotiations mm. months. Cause they found that at the very start of pre-production, they went looking for that place. They found it. They got it going. The liquid that was in there that was supposed to be like the fucking liquid steel was actually very cold. So they had to keep it moving the set had to be very cold, so all the sweat on them is fake. Everybody was freezing their tits off the whole goddamn time. Crazy. Yeah. Because it does then, as segue, have one of the great frozen movements in the history yeah. of cinema in which they take some CO2, some crazy weaponized dry ice, and freeze the T-1000 in one of the great practical effects of all time where Robert Patrick freezes and then, as he was taught by Nick's favorite actor, Eddie Furlong, to say, hasta la vista, baby. And then Arnold shoots him and he explodes into crystallized ice. And they're like, oh, we did it. In classic horror movie form. But it's like... Yeah, and then Michael Myers just sits back up in the closet. <laughs> And but does it in the coolest CGI sequence where he comes back together and reforms himself, and then they fight in the foundry. Like you said, he gets into a straight up fist fight with Arnold Schwarzenegger. T one thousand does beats the shit out of him, stabs him to death, quote unquote, where he reboots. And on then, Christmas Day, yes, and then he fights Sarah Connor, who gets the jump on him, is blasting him with the shotgun, and almost has him to the edge. And then runs out of shells, and he does the Matumbo, wags his finger at her, which, according to uh, Robert Patrick, was truly a James Cameron thing, where he said the whole time he was telling him the T-1000 doesn't learn anything. And then he's like, he's learned enough. He's pissed. He's annoyed. He's had enough of these people. And he wags his finger at her. And then, in slow motion fashion, the governator comes over, I am that crippled governor with the grenade launcher. And he shoots. And then that practical effect of the thing that they made that is half CGI, half fucking weird shit of the blown apart T-1000 that takes a misstep because he's blown apart and falls into the molten steel. And then James Cameron himself with his mouth does a sound effect in which he goes like, like something like, something like that. Right. Something, something like that. And the T-1000 shout outs to Mike Hayes and the T-1000 is no more. 
And then John Connor throws the old Terminator 1 arm and chip in. Then in sad fashion, Arnold says there's one more chip. And he points at his dick. He points at his dick and then at his head. There's two chips. And then Robot Dad lowers himself to save his family and gives the thumbs up at the end. And that's straight up the end of the movie. <laughs> and I believe there's, in Cameron fashion, the Sarah Connor thing is that maybe we might learn, just as the robot did, to be good to each other. Spoiler alert, we ain't learned nothing. <laughs> but maybe we could, man. Maybe we could be the antibody instead of the bacteria on this planet. Maybe we could. We have the capability. I don't know. I love this. But any other final, and not just final takes, like what else is popping out of you about the end of that movie, about anything you want to talk about, Nick? That was uh, Linda Hamilton's twin, by the way. What? She has a twin sister. That's nonsense. It's not tw- No. That is the second set of twins in this movie. Which one was Cameron married to? He was married to the one that got super buff because they told her sister. If you watch the one that's in front talking to John, who gets blown away, does not have the same physique because like she just has to hit the gym. Ah. So she has a totally different body. Holy shit. Then Lyndall Hamilton. I thought they just filmed that before, before she no, started that was working out. Sister. Holy shit. Yeah. That's amazing. Because she looks like 80s Linda Hamilton. Yeah. Wow. I did not know that. And that gives such a spooky effect because Mm -hmm. she looks kind of different. Yeah. I did not know that. That's amazing. Right? That's amazing. That and then apparently people went through a lot of trouble to find the original shooting script. Because everybody thinks I need a vacation is an homage. Is like he picked that line from Kindergarten Cop. Yes. No, that was in the original script from the very first time. Absolutely. Because also William Wisher, who kind of wrote the script, James Cameron wrote it, but William Wisher is like his guy. William Wisher did not get a writing credit on the original Terminator. Right. Gail Ann Hurd did. She did editing. Yes. It was a weird editing thing. And then he got, at the end, additional dialogue written by. Yes. For Terminator 2, it was weird because... William Wisher wrote the first half Mm. and then gave the script to James Cameron. And then James Cameron wrote the other half. Right. And Wisher to his credit was the one who came up with the Arnold one is the good guy now Yeah, as this kind of, and then as I like the games within games that Cameron plays, he wouldn't reveal that until it got about a week before the movie came out. And it just like, there was no way to keep people from knowing that. Like the teaser trailer was shot by Stan Winston and, Arnie, and that came out a year before the actual trailer came out, but he was working on Edward Scissorhands and left mm. production for a week to shoot it, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was doing Kindergarten Cop to go shoot that, and then all the commercials and everything else didn't have them together, but then in true studio fashion, the final trailer for the movie showed that he was the good guy. Right, because also I think that was... Mario Casar, though, which I love. It's interesting that Mario Casar took the Galan Heard role in this movie and was the one who was the kind of voice of reason. And he basically, from what I heard, told Cameron at that kind of last junction, he's like, no, you got to reveal it now. You have to. And that'll get people pumped for it that Arnold is the good guy. And. I mean, it's genius. It really, the whole, the whole thing was genius. In this element, the movie cost $102 million. You know how much it made at the box office, yes? 
533 million. Yes, worldwide 530 million dollars at Wait, the, is that the actual number? Y- yes. At is, the, I don't even know my own at, cell phone number. I, <laughs> at the time it was the third highest grossing movie of all time after Star Wars and ET. It was technically the highest budgeted movie of all time. He has achieved that title. Yes. Four times. Yes. From Terminator 2 to Avatar, every time we made a movie after that, mm-hmm. it was the most expensive movie ever made. He also has a Jordan complex where he just really was like, I have to make the movie that is Montel not- Jordan? <laughs> oh, shit. Montel Jordan is a... Uh, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. <laughs> but that he just kept saying to himself, I have to make the highest grossing movie of all time. I have to make the highest grossing movie of all time. A little weird Cameron thing. And he would then with Titanic and then he would with Avatar. <laughs> and now he's going to try and beat Avengers. I know he is like, well, technically he beat Avengers already when the Chinese market opened up again. Like after COVID they re-released Avatar in theaters sure, and it went and made like $8 million in the weekend it was open and it beat Avengers. Hey, I get it, but it doesn't count because it wasn't the exact. <laughs> no, I don't. I just I don't give a shit. I, a I shit never either. saw it. I don't give a shit either way. I'm just saying that uh, it's crazy that all of these maniacs came together to make this at the exact moment. And as I said, it's if someone says summer blockbuster, it's truly for me in a way it encompasses all of the Hollywood tropes of it. It's a sequel that worked. And also, I think we should bring this up. So do you think it is superior to the original? Yeah, I said at the beginning of the show. Hmm. I think I heard that, but I thought I should ask again. I love it. There are a few moments in it that are cheese ball, which I kind there's of cheese love. ball moments in the first one. Yeah, but I, I think there's a more of a 80s cheese ball. Yes, but there's more of a yeah, oh like the sex scene. Oh, for sure. The sex scene, the roommates. Oh, but the- that's kind of great though. I love the roommates. Like that's more of like a horror movie kind of thing where Cameron's taking the horror movie trope and he's like I'll have a little bit of the horror movie trope, but then you guys aren't even fucking ready for what this movie is, what it's going to escalate into. I'm going to have some PJ souls type characters, but this is going to be way beyond Michael Myers. I mean, that lady was nowhere near PJ souls. She's listening to her headphones and you know what I mean? The same. It's not the same as PJ souls, but you understand what I mean. I know what you're saying. I'm respectfully disagreeing. That's fair. That is fair. PJ souls. Is a national. Tre- Souls. I agree. I agree. I mean, she's not a national treasure. She's simply a movies. She's a, <laughs> she's a national reg- nerd treasure. She's a regional treasure. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. I think we've talked about Terminator Two. I think we've done it. There's a lot to talk about. We have some future episodes that are going to be about some people. I'm sure we'll have some dope ass James Cameron episodes at one point. There's a lot to talk about. But uh, any other last bits, Nick? Eddie, if you're listening, I said a lot of mean things. Mm. I just want you to know, I met every one of them. (laughs) And it's never too late for you to take acting classes. Also, Robert Patrick, if you're listening, I want you to know that I've always thought you were great. I think you're amazing. I think you're an amazing T-1000. You are, if I really am thinking about it, the reason this movie works, that you became iconic. People have been running with their hands as like fished out blades because it's T-1000. People didn't know if there would be something more iconic in a Terminator movie after the first one with the all be back. And then there's T-1000 <laughs> and the way T-1000 behaves. And it's 
fabulous. It is unstoppably fabulous. Robert Patrick, if you're listening, you are my third favorite movie shark of all time <laughs> after Jaws and the shark that eats Samuel Jackson in Deep Blue Sea. That's fair. That's fair. Well, everybody, this has been Blockbuster Film School. We love you guys. Thank you for listening to us. Please follow us on Instagram. Please uh, hit us up. We have a Patreon. We appreciate all of it. The show will always be free. We think you're the greatest humans in the history of time. Michael Mercurio, you're an absolute champion. Thank you for being here. I love your. Who the fuck is that? It's uh, it's a guy we know. It's a guy we know. He's a he's a handsome man. Oh, this guy. Yes, yes. In studio. In studio. We maybe we should get some more microphones with our Patreon money so we can have some of these handsome gentlemen. Brian Tepps, MM. I heart you both. I, I think you're fabulous humans, and I'm very proud of our show. Congrats to all of us. Yes. So uh, see you guys next week. And remember to do drugs, have a good time, drive your car real fast. You never know when Skynet's going to take over. Yes, you do. Yeah, it's soon. See you guys later. No chill out, dickwad?